how's it going? Kim here, once again bringing you an episode of Millenniosophy, a bit of a silly podcast that I am putting together because there are some things that I just feel need to be said. So if you would like to follow along on this fun wee journey, you can find me at It's Kim Stephanie on Twitter or Instagram. I also have an Instagram account for Millenniosophy. And you can email me at millenniosophy at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. This episode, as promised, is going to be a little talk on capitalism. And I've been thinking all week on how to talk on this subject because it's a complicated one. And I've decided to simply start by telling you the story from where I learned, which was as a young child and from my mother and father, both of whom are entrepreneurs and have started and run businesses throughout my lifetime. Uh, I have always been around small businesses and I have always greatly enjoyed them. And my father has always taught me a lot about business, um, both intentionally and simply by being near him. So to understand capitalism, you have to understand how negative numbers can both exist and not exist. When my father taught me basic mathematics, I didn't learn them at school, I learned from my dad first, and then I found school very boring, but maths was always fun and easy. And he could show me physical examples of almost every mathematical principle, except negative numbers. And I remember having the argument with him that every child has with their parent. How can there be less than nothing? And he had to explain trade and debt and all of these complex ideas that we create to understand how you could have less than nothing. But they are just ideas. And I decided I was prepared to play with those ideas. And I did. My very first job was uh, selling papers on a set route through Wellington City. I was 10, maybe. And after my route and I sold the papers and delivered the money, I would go to the public library and wait for the appropriate parent to pick me up after work. As I started earning a little bit of money, Dad wanted to teach me about the fun things you can do with compounding interest. And I was fascinated with this. And I remember one day calculating what 10% compounding interest would be on my pitiful earnings. But in my enthusiasm, I calculated it as a daily compounding interest rather than an annual compounding interest. And I'd spend about 45 minutes in the library thinking about this and getting quite excited that I was going to make a phenomenal amount of money very, very quickly. And then having to be reminded that actually, no, 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 you you can't compound interest on a 24-hour sort of timescale. This is a 365-day timescale. And I thought, ah, because at the time, for the two hours' work I did every afternoon, I think I earned about 9 to $12.00. New Zealand a week, which actually, if it was the school holidays and I wasn't commuting into town for school, the bus fare to take me to my job was $14 a week. 
So I quickly realized the limitations when your expenses are a considerable proportion of your income. But because I was interested, Dad lent me his copy of The Richest Man in Babylon. And I really enjoyed that. And I highly recommend it. It's a very good introduction to basic financial premises written in a nice little narrative of, of a working man asking for financial advice from a very wealthy individual. And the advice isn't terrible. It's basically save 10% of what you earn and invest it wisely. So what we have now is a system that's called capitalism, but capitalism is now, perhaps always was, something of a misnomer. What we really have is creditism. Capital is not what makes the world turn. It is credit. And credit is not real. It has huge implications on numbers on a screen, but it is not a thing. It would not exist if we did not all believe in it. And in that, it makes it something of a religion. And we all play the game thinking that we have a chance of making it to the top of this uh, socioeconomic ladder. And we don't. Very, very few people succeed compared to the billions that try. And that's how capitalism has to work, because it would crumble if we were all successful. Capitalism is a system that requires... It requires serfs. It requires a population that can be taken advantage of. Or perhaps it requires a vulnerability. And the lines as to where wealth creation and where exploitation of vulnerability cross, meet, merge, grey out considerably, there's our problem. So I'm not an advocate of communism in any way. Um, I think it's as mediocre as capitalism. They are both very drab concepts based on the assumption that patriarchy is the successful uh, social system under which to work. So capitalism and patriarchy are really, really deeply connected. And before anybody goes, oh, she's going to blame men for everything. No, patriarchy is supported by just as many women as it is supported by men. It's And the internalized misogyny in our quote-unquote female population is just as abhorrent in maintaining the system as the uh, lack of awareness from those who are not exposed to the downfalls of this system. And that's intensely connected to God. So it's not overly surprising that most capitalist institutions have very strong connections to Christianity. There's plenty of capitalism that doesn't. China's doing some really interesting things. India's fascinating. 
But every system requires a hierarchy. Every system requires there to be people at the top making the decisions for the people at the bottom. And uh, this happens across religion. It happens across education. It happens across every system we put in place. We have this belief that there should be a father to guide the family. So the fathers have been our priests and our CEOs and our politicians. And these people have fairly consistently abused power over the generations because that's what power does. It's an old adage, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. You simply cannot put somebody on a pedestal and expect them to keep making the decisions as if they're on the ground. They simply don't have access to that. And so the goalposts of what they're trying to achieve versus who might be hurting while they're trying to achieve that can get very blurry and messy. And you end up having huge, huge problems of inequality and pain because of this notion that father knows best. And father knows plenty, but he does not need to be the leader. He does not need to guide the ship. He does not need to drive the vehicle. We're doing just fine. So what we need is a recognition of the difference between credit, capital, and merit, and reputation. Because now that we pretend we don't have a, a classist system of social ranking, we, we call it a, a meritocracy, which means those who have the most to contribute, who are the best in a field, who who have the greatest merit are given the greatest responsibilities. But meritocracy is also a misnomer because in order to have merit, you have to have be perceived to have merit. And our perception of merit is incredibly damaging. Our perception of who holds merit is exactly what empires have always used to hold the moral superiority of we have much and you have little, but we deserve it. And that's a lie that we all tell ourselves because we all work hard to have what we have. We all learn about this ladder in whatever way our mind conceptualizes it, figures out how to climb the rungs, and when somebody tells us that where we've got to is not where we deserve to be, it hurts. So when people raise issues of social justice, we're not trying to hurt you. We are not trying to make you feel shame or guilt or give everything you have away. Simply accept that the universe is a beautiful representation of chaos. And we have been manipulating that chaos for some time and we need to stop and we need to deconstruct these ideas in our mind that there are people who are beyond reproach. There are people who are good 
And there are people whose ideas are so good that we will allow them to create huge amounts of pain. And I've got off topic again. So I did my master's degree in entrepreneurship. And what is that, you may ask, because most people do. And it was a program run alongside the MBA program at my university, uh, good old Otago University Executive Business School, as I recall. And it was a 15-month program where we had lots of guest speakers come in and we looked at all different types of business models and entrepreneurial journeys and we had intellectual property lawyers come in and accountants come in and branding and marketing people and everything you could possibly want to have a vague idea of if you were starting a business they gave us a vague idea of and it was brilliant and I loved it and I started a small business at the time to teach myself some of the practicalities of the theory I was learning and I made very little money uh, but I learned a lot, which may or may not be the story of my life. However, I left university with a very high, um, <laughs> arrogant as fuck, let's put it that way. But I quickly realized that looking like I did, I was never going to be given the benefit of the doubt of a, a male counterpart. I took that insecurity with me when I found a job for a, an accounting firm where I came in to help with um, trust and estate management. Ended up doing a lot of, um, lots and lots of grunt work accounting. And that was fascinating. And I got to get my fingers right into hundreds of different businesses and see what was going on on the inside. And then I moved to Australia and I was coping with two small children and I found becoming employed very very difficult again and I thought about running a business but running a business is very much like having another child there's just so much emotional drain and time drain and you need to work so damn hard those first few years and I was barely coping so starting a new business wasn't really an option I had a wee play around with writing fiction but now I have this interesting situation where I really enjoy working in the bottom of an organization and getting my hands into the blood flow of the organization. Getting into that finance situation, or currently I'm in um, branched out, <laughs> and I'm more looking at business systems. And I love it, and it's fascinating. And yet every single organization I've come across has the same issues and does the same damage and it all comes down to this issue of consent and coercion. And that's why it comes back to patriarchy. And that's why credit is so important. And reputation is so important. Because we are using these fathers to coerce the people at the bottom. That they have the merit to take this organisation and then, and then it all gets fucked up. And it gets fucked up because the people at the top think the organisation works one way and it often doesn't. We think we can put a plan in place and a structure in place and we think we can change things and we can't. You cannot know what the wheels are doing 
while you're sitting in the driver's seat. So you need to listen, and you need to listen all the way down, and you need to listen without judgment. And that's very, very difficult. Because we're all in this through coercion, and we're all trying to gaslight ourselves into thinking we're there by consent. But we're not. And we were never meant to be, as a species, coerced into this slavery to an idea. The Celts... Uh, okay, I'm changing tack on you completely again. And I want to talk about a god from ancient Gaul. So, um, geographically we're talking about France and um, the, the Celtic people that lived in Europe before the Romans invaded and slaughtered everybody. So the ancient Celts had no uh, written language and they chose to keep no written language long after they started trading with lots of civilizations that did have written language. They chose not to write their stories down. And then around Julius Caesar's time, he um, he had a an old name. He was well born and broke. And so he got himself into a lot of debt trying to get politically popular. And to avoid and pay off these debts, he, he scampered off to what the Romans termed Gaul, but was a region of any number of small tribes. And then he kind of pretty much made his name and his money by invading, attacking, enslaving, and stealing from these tribes. And so by about, I think, 600 AD, the culture, the all of the spiritual leaders had been chased, you know, as far as England and Ireland and uh, outlawed and slaughtered wherever they could be. All of the knowledge, all of the language, everything was basically destroyed. So now all we know about these people really comes from us, from the, the remaining Roman and Greek uh, records. And they are uh, scanty and condescending at best. But there's this god, Ogmius, who I learned about through, shout out, Ancient History Fangirl podcast. Uh, Jen and Jenny are just the bee's knees. I love them to pieces. And about the third or fourth time I might have listened to one of their Gaulic episodes, I heard about this god, Ogmius. And he stuck in my head until I had to look him up. And he's fascinating. He is a god represented as the god of persuasion and eloquence. And he is represented as being carried on a litter to his followers, who are all miserable. And his tongue is chained with long chains to their ears. And they will take him wherever he wants to go. And he sounds a hell of a lot like every king with a crazy idea, slaughtering, raping, pillaging, murdering. Every army that's ever trooped off thinking, what the fuck am I doing? For an idea that is almost always a lie. War is the oldest racket in history. War makes lots of money. And when your empire is based on making credit through war, you will sprout generations of international terrorists that will bleach the world. And that's what Ogmius is doing. He's a concept. 
He's a representation of what can happen when you follow the Pied Piper too blindly. Stop following and think. Because we cannot keep coercing this society into believing that these people are there because they want the best for us. They never have. And they never will. To the very rich, poor people are the most available renewable resource on the planet. Poverty creates vulnerabilities that can be exploited infinitely. And the amount of lying and gaslighting that as a society we have to accept to be able to deal with these incredible inequalities without crumbling is phenomenal. A lot of people have heard of the Spartacus Revolution. Uh, this is uh, Spartacus and his 80,000 um, slaves saying, fuck you to Rome, we don't want to be slaves anymore. And a lot of people look back on this as some kind of liberation movement, and it really never was. There was no point during the Roman Empire that anybody seriously stood up and said, you know, perhaps slavery is a bit unethical, perhaps humans should have dignity. That was never Spartacus's argument. He just wanted his people to be allowed to fuck off. Literally all he wanted. And uh, when he was defeated, 6,000 of his uh, seemingly most important followers were uh, crucified along the Appian Way, which was the main and the only road leading in and out of Rome. So for kilometres, these rebel slaves were left to rot in the sun. Slavery was a pretty important part of the way the Roman Empire worked. And the Roman Empire is what we have been fangirling since the Renaissance. Because the lies that the Romans told fit so nicely with the lies that the white aristocracy in Europe in the 1600s wanted to tell. And when all of your history, all of your colonialist history is based on European history or British history, you get this very, very flawed narrative of the way empires can and should work on what needs to happen for a successful society to function and what social evolution actually looks like. Just because our society is now at a later date than the societies previously, that does not make it the best it could have been. And it doesn't even make it better than what was. Evolution is never a straightforward path. We try shit and then we fuck it up and then we try again. So right now we're on this path of poisoning our entire globe for a credit system that doesn't exist. And what happens if we take away this non-existent credit system? Big things happen. Not because it exists, but because it is a lie protecting a huge amount of bullshit. And if we whip that straight out underneath, 
I mean, the French got their guillotines in the revolution and they took out their aristocracy and they took out all sense of normalcy for the country for a hundred years. We cannot change quickly, we cannot change fast without backlashes that hurt. So how can we change slowly? Well, one thing we can change is allowing people to speak without demanding they justify their speech. Being able to justify what you think is kind of an ableist flex. It's a privilege to have the education and the articulation to qualify to somebody else why what you think and what you feel is important. And actually, that's not your job. So capitalism at the moment and this credit system we have going is based on you proving to somebody how valuable you are. And that is a road that will lead to self-destruction. To be valuable, you need to find where you consent to put your labor. Where do you consent to put your effort and your love and follow that? And do it and keep doing it without pride, without arrogance, but with love and humility. Humility. So we will move to a better way of interacting with each other because at the moment we currently have a society where you're assigned a status based on your income, which could not be less important. And we give our attention to those people who are against our ideas with such passion. Here's a hint. Every idea you have is flawed, and that's okay. Being unaware of something is not a moral failing on your part. And when somebody wants you to learn, if they do not create an environment where you feel safe and accepted and joyous in that process, then you're killing yourself. The only reason we currently have this functioning bullshit of capitalism is because we still, for some God unknown reason, are following a method of social structure that failed 200 years ago. Why are we trying to reenact 19th century Britain? Why are we using these public schooling systems that were only ever designed to take the poorest children to a working capacity where they could fulfill factory jobs? Public schooling is based on the idea that poor people need to be trained into obedience. And wealthy people are allowed to be educated individually. Stop it. We can't stop sending our kids to school. But we can start thinking about what it is we want school to achieve. I don't want school to achieve another generation of obedience. I don't want school to achieve another generation of white people not knowing how the fuck we got here. I'm a white people, and I do not like that. No, I've come to terms with it. I love who I am and where I come from. 
And I love who you are and where you come from. Because I think every iteration of life is stunning and perfect. You're a hand of cards that a greater entity wants to play. And you get to play it with all of your heart and all of your soul. And so does everyone else. And you have no more right or no less right to feel joy in your life. To get up in the morning for something you consent to do. Not something you are coerced into doing because some stupid moron had some idea about how people would behave that was never ever based on fact and only ever based on stereotype and self-selecting bullshit ideas from wealthy people who think they're special. So classism definitely exists, and it always will. And for poor white people who think that you have a chance of being a rich white people, that small hope is what keeps you from a larger hope, of realising that you don't have to be rich or, or any fucking colour or any shape or any size to have the right to feel joy and live your life with consent. If you want to know about the history of capitalism, I am nowhere near qualified to give you that. But I can direct you to one of the best documentary series that's been loved by millions of people since I believe the first movie came out in 2008, but I didn't catch it until Netflix brought it to me about 2016, of the Zeitgeist uh, series. Beautiful series of documentaries, lots and lots of ideas about religion and capitalism. Capitalism is, is a lie. Communism is a lie. Just different structure. And they all come back to patriarchy and this idea that father knows best. Because the Romans thought father knows best. And no matter how many fathers they put on that emperor's throne, they just kept fucking out. Because eventually every bubble based on the vulnerability of others will burst. People will not let you capitalize on their vulnerability indefinitely. They'll put up with it for a couple of hundred years. Because we are so fucking good at keeping these people down if we want to. But eventually every abuse comes to an end. And if there are huge repercussions, perhaps that's necessary. But I don't think perpetuating more pain is necessary. And I don't think sending people down huge guilt spirals is necessary. Because anybody who is really reaching out there trying to say the way the world is is just not working for me. They have a right to say that without anybody thinking that their situation is somehow your fault. Those who are in pain ask for witnesses. They do not ask for shame. They do not ask for your guilt. So take it out of the equation. Even if your gut reaction is, I've been following an idea that is hurting people. I must have hurt people. I never wanted to hurt anyone, and I have. Sit with it without 
fear, it will pass, and no doubt more quickly than it should. Every single one of us was born into a world where we knew nothing and we could learn only from the experiences of our immediate environment. You were never supposed to be born woke, in the same way you were never supposed to be born knowing the difference between feeling hungry and feeling tired. Babies have to learn that shit too. There is nothing wrong with trying and failing and trying again. And I know our meat suits don't look the same, and I know I don't understand, but that's because I can't from over here. I'm sorry. I can't experience what you're experiencing. But I can speak on what I'm experiencing in the hopes that it will make you feel like what you are going through is okay and normal and we will get through this because if nothing else after this year we need some fucking hope. We need to be able to laugh at ourselves and say, wow, wow. And then we need to work together to make a better place. So if you have anything at all to say to me, please hit me up on socials at millenniosophy at gmail or just keep listening because I appreciate you deeply. Think well, be well. 